Studio Stories, Studio Stories. A podcast reminiscing on Twin Cities dance history. Stories are among our most potent tools. All stories are connected, new ones woven from threads of the old. Hi, I'm Joe Crook. And I'm Matthew Janjeski. Welcome to Studio Stories. Today, our guest to share a bit of their Twin Cities history is Kenna Kamara Kotman. Thrilled to have you, Kenna, here with us with such a family history in the arts and a longstanding dancer and educator here. Welcome, Kenna. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So we're just going to jump right in uh, here. Uh, You are a Black American griot. Can you tell us more about that, sharing the history behind your training, the impact um, other Twin Cities ancestors within the tradition have had on you as a dancer, educator, and choreographer, maybe, you know, starting from, from your beginnings? Okay, sure. Um, a griot is uh, a West African term for an oral historian. And um, another word is jolly. And another word is storyteller. And I come from a long line of storytellers, artists, and musicians. My mother, Beverly Cotman, my father, Bill Cotman, um, both of my grandmothers. And um, what it entails is using the cultural arts to keep traditions and pass down uh, cultural practices that provide for the health and well-being of people of African descent, otherwise known as Black people. And because I am a Black American, um, I blend the African-American traditions and the African traditions that I've learned and collected over many years of actual study and also just cultural, just being a part of my culture. This is just, these are just some of the things that we do. Singing, dancing, drumming, storytelling, poetry, music, rhythm. Um, Those are all tools that people of African descent have used for centuries and eons to communicate and to stay connected as community. And so that's the tradition that the griot comes out of and that's where I find myself. Um, I was raised this way. Um, my parents both made art like their entire lives at, at the same time as holding down like regular jobs. So I just always thought, oh, you just do art in addition to, you know, whatever else you have to do. And then um, as my parents uh, retired, then they took on their second and third careers as full-time artists. And so it really inspired me to do the same. My dad um, definitely supported me in when I decided to like try to be a professional dancer and have a dance career. And um, and I did that for about, I don't know, 15 years or something. And then um, now I have returned to my roots in North Minneapolis and as an educator, because I also have a master's degree in elementary education. And I'm really um, very interested in um providing education for children, black and brown children, queer children, children that, you know, need to see, every child needs to see themselves reflected in the classroom that they have to go to every day. And so um, I've taken all what I've learned through my dance journey and put it back into my educational work. And now I am teaching full-time in an elementary Montessori school, and I am still continuing to do my Black American griot oral historian work in the community. 
Wow, that's uh, that's fabulous. So, kind of speaking about your 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 current um, your current project, um, which is uh, the company that that you you've started, correct? Voice of Culture, Drum and Dance. Um, right. How did how did that even come come into being? Again, Voice of Culture um, grew out of necessity and just what we be doing. So, like in studying drum and dance and taking classes from different people in the Twin Cities, Patricia Brown, Morris Johnson, William Achuelu, um, Atia Balasi. These are all people that I just used to take class and study with. And um, I I got a brotherhood with a drummer. His name was Patrice de Lemos. And when Brother Patrice had to move back to Angola, he told me, Kenna, don't let it die. We have all these people that we've been practicing with and creating with and learning with. And just because I'm leaving, you can't let it die. And I, and there's especially, there was one young um, teenage uh, boy, Kenyari Alahad, who is just like a prodigy in drumming and one of Brother Patrice's students. And he was like, you cannot let Kenyari stop drumming. And I was like, all right, okay, I got this. So then we started Voice of Culture just as an effort to maintain what we had been doing with Brother Patrice. So it was me, Kinyari, his younger sister, Salima, um, Deja Joel um, is a founding member of Voice of Culture, and then my two children, Yancey Jameson and Ibrahim Sarge. And that was the first VOC. And we basically were just a family getting together, practicing at the old Central do Brasil, Nijayoji um, Brazilian studio that used to be on like Aldrich in 26 and um and we used to just you know practice our drum and dance and then we started getting gigs and we started getting known and we started being seen as um you know somebody that people could call upon not for performance but for ceremony and not necessarily for like flashiness but for um groundedness and so we became a staple in um certain things that happen every year, like the Black Storytellers Festival. They have a festival every um, fall. And so we always drum and dance for them to open the festival. Midtown Global Market, um, shout out to Rituals and Sister Maisa. They always have a Kwanzaa celebration. We always um, perform at the Kwanzaa celebration. Um, Juneteenth, another African-American celebration of freedom. We're always at Juneteenth. Um, Rondo days, uh, any type of community celebration of blackness and community voice of culture is there. And so, and that was in 2008 when we started it, um, when brother Patrice moved away. And so we've been going strong ever since. Incredible. You guys are keeping busy then. Yes, we actually, um, I'm actually in a new phase. Uh, voice of culture has been through many phases. Our our initial phase was growing and building. Um, but then like Kenyari has since graduated from college and went, you know, he's toured the world. He went, he ended up getting a, a scholarship to sing at Russ college. And um, so his cultural arts have remained strong. Um, I'm sure you've seen my oldest Yancey around. Yancey is a musician, a DJ, a radio personality. So, so we went from our growing phase. Then we went into a phase where we were, um, I wanted to open up for every hip hop show. And so I had these young people performing at every, we performed at every venue 
in this time. We've performed at First Ave on the main stage. We performed at Triple Rock, the Southern. Um, there, oh, there's just all these different club venues that I had these kids in there drumming and dancing and had everybody in there because I would make the audience, I'd be like, you can't just sit still, you got to join us. So that was our phase of like our hip hop phase. Um, we, we went through a fusion phase where we worked on blending and we still do this. We blend like contemporary African-American and Black American um, beats and sounds and rhythms with the traditional rhythms that we've been learning all this time. So we have so many fusion pieces and, um, and now we're in our practice and, um, cultural, I don't know, I don't have a good word for it, but we're, I'm, I'm moving away from performance and towards practice. Huh. I'm trying to, um, have voice of culture be a black space mm-hmm or African drum and dance for black people to engage in our cultural arts simply for our own health and wellness. Not because we want to get on a stage, not because we want to make a YouTube, but because we just do this. Just like when you go to the gym or when you go to take a yoga class, you're not doing it to perform it. You're doing it for yourself. So that's what, um, that's the phase that voice of culture is in now trying to create a cultural practice. That's so cool. And continues the tradition and, knowledge sharing and the storytelling that you were talking about what an right we gotta pass it down. this is this is the oral tradition and it's only passed down through you know it's not passed down through a book or through a website it's passed down by being together and passing it down yeah such a sense of community my gosh indeed craving for that <laughs> um I I found it interesting that you basically were brought up just like, yeah, art is a part of my life. Like, uh, can you share, obviously your parents were big mentors to you. Are there others that you think of that uh, kind of just instilled that within you and kind of maybe a story or two in the community? Are you from Minnesota originally? Can I? I am. I was born at Idle Hospital, which is now Idle Condominiums right by Loring Park. And um, my mom was a tour guide at the Walker Art Center right across um, the park. And the, the funny story, the family story is that after I was born, um, shortly after I was born, my mom was still in the hospital. She was like, listen, I got to go give a tour. And my dad was like, nah, <laughs> you got to chill for a second. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, like my mom has always been. Um, she's currently a, a docent at the at the Mia, so okay. she's always um, we you know museums have always been there. And then the two ancestors that come to mind when you ask for a story is my auntie Lori Carlos Ashe and J Otis Powell Ashe. Those are two um, people who just been connected to my family artistically. Um, I just, I can't remember a time that they weren't around. And even though they're not on this plane anymore, they're still around. And mm. so, um, Lord, I mean, I remember Lori Carlos, when I worked with Ananya Dance Theater, um, Lori Carlos used to come and hit me on my left hip and be like, it's right there. It's something right there. You need to figure that out. Mm. <laughs> and, um, and, and Deotis Powell, mm. what I would take from him is his quote, an artist always reserves the right to change their mind. And I know I won't I remember one time we were doing a um a improvisational uh we have this ensemble called the Ways Ensemble. 
and it's um, about ways of knowing, different ways of knowing. And there were so many improvisational artists involved, but I remember it was like me, Monque and Dosi, Jay Otis Powell, and my mom and dad, and some other people. And then we were trying to get it together. And then Jay Otis was like, nah, I don't think I want to do that anymore. And we were all so mad at him. He was like, listen, I'm an artist. I reserve the right to change my mind. <laughs> we were all like, okay, we can't argue with that. So like people like that who've always been around and always been um, just being their creative selves and allowing me to take notes. Incredible. When was that the Ways Ensemble? When was that time frame wise? Ooh, let me see. That had to be, I think it was when my my daughter was little. So it might have been like, the early 2000s Gosh, okay. and we did a we did a show at the avalon theater in the heart of the beast and it was called a disease called freedom um because jay otis had looked up this um this thing that white people made up they made up a disease called drapedomania and they'd say oh black people you have this disease because you keep trying to run away and be free and um, so we we made this uh, this show based on that premise called a disease called freedom. And I so I'm gonna I'm gonna say 2002 at the Avalon Theater in South Minneapolis it was the Ways Ensemble. But the Ways Ensemble still exists. These are also like overlapping groups and companies and associations that that still continue on. So the Ways Ensemble is something that is still still happening oh yeah definitely my dad my now my my oldest child is involved in it um my oldest child started becoming a jazz musician in high school and plays the bass clarinet and the drums of course and um so yeah we've just had so many different permutations i'm gonna have to check that out for sure it's so this has been so interesting this you know Joe and I just kind of starting this podcast and just how much, you know, there's so much out there uh, unknown, you know, within the dance community itself, which I am just fascinated by all the time, you know, and it's like, well, what is that? You know, like, ah, I want to check this out, you know? Well, I'm wondering, uh, can I, I remember you performing obviously different uh, avenues and venues and things like that through choreographers evening and at the Southern theater. And I'm remembering you in April sellers. I think it was April sellers. Yeah. I worked with April. I've worked with her. That was a good stint. I remember a bowling piece at the Southern theater. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh my God, I'm drawing a blank on what it was, but it was like Susan Scalf, me, Heather, um, Greg Shooty, and hmm. dang, I can't remember who else was in it, but yep, it was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know. You know, April Sellers is wild. That yeah. was that was yeah. in my day when I was like, okay, let me be, I'm about to be a professional dancer. Okay, I'm about to be out here, you know, doing the do. So you know, I went, I got down with April Sellers. We did some different things. We tried to go. She actually took me on her, um, Mancy retreat, um, down South to, um, Florida. And that was when, you know, that was kind of when we, me and April Sellers broke up. We had like 
we had a good run and you know i still have a lot of fond memories about her but one the experience that we had in florida was that um and number one, groundbreakingly, she got Lori Car. We got Lori Car. This is how much my auntie Lori Carlos loves me. Is that she got on a plane when she hadn't been on a plane in like twenty years, and she got on a plane to fly to Florida to be our dramaturg for that um, choreographic residency. And April and I were trying to work off this photo of like it was like a black and a white woman. I can't remember now who they were, but they both had the black power fist and it was during like women's rights. Mm -hmm. And so we were trying to work off this photo. And I was just like, April kept screaming feminism and I kept screaming blackness. And then we went to, we, so at Mansi, it's right down the way from FAMU, which is one of the Florida A&M university is one of the oldest historically black colleges. And so at FAMU, they have a museum of black memorabilia. And it's all that old racist imagery, that old um, stereotypical like lawn statues and advertisements and stuff. And so we went to this museum together and I just never will forget the fact that April had no idea about this type of imagery. Like, I don't know if she was playing with me or what, but I was like, girl, are you serious? So, So we went through this whole museum and it was just like, I realized then that that was one of the moments that I had a realization that I get to choose what I want to do with my art. And I can mm. do art that tries to explain the Black experience for non-Black people, or I can do art for us, by us, that FUBU art. And I was like, mm. I got I to gotta switch it up. I'm going I'm to be on that FUBU art. And so I remember... Um, that as being, you know, one of the pivotal moments in me deciding to actually kind of divorce the dance community because um, I started to get fed up with, you know, art for art's sake and, you know, this postmodern aesthetic of, you know, sort of what felt to me very meaningless and, you know, chasing the grants and chasing the um, the presentation slots and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I just, I got to get out of this. This ain't feeding me. Hmm. Amazing. I have to say that I, I, uh, I really appreciated you <laughs> because I, I, I feel like there, it really is a separation, like you were just saying, and I really appreciated seeing like, oh, we, you know, we're having, like you were doing so many diverse, uh, performances for, for different choreographers, I feel. And I was like, so it was so welcoming uh, to me. And I really appreciated that. All right. I, I receive it. I receive that. Yeah. Cause I feel, I, I don't know. I, I've been struggling with this personally with just like, how can we be more together <laughs> and be more, uh, lift each other up in a way, uh, and more so lift, lift the community up. Um, in the dance community specifically because there's so much range of dance and that's what I appreciated about you is that you were doing all this range of stuff that just I feel like fed into your uh, persona and performances and I really appreciated that do you have uh, specific memories of things that stood out to you in that Yes, during my professional dance career. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're still doing it. 
Oh my God, I was doing it. Okay, so I um, you know, I so Pramila Vasudevan is one is somebody who's so dear to my heart. And, you know, we went, we met in a Nanya dance theater and we both like split off from there, but then we worked together and Pramila had me doing some, some very, very deep and interesting work. We created, we try to create our own, um, movement vocabulary blending, you know, cause we, as much as we love each other, we're like very different movers. <laughs> and so just trying to create a vocabulary that, that we both could share and we used to spend hours in the studio and this is before she had kids um you know hours in the studio like making up stuff and coming up with like just wild different permutations and combinations um and then she had me in her um i think it was her momentum um where she had me we 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 worked on the solo and it went through so many different um ideas of what it was going to be like at one point I was supposed to be naked doing it <laughs> so oh. like we <laughs> we like we went through all of this and then it ended up um to be like this like solo where I was in this uh beam of light that kept getting smaller and smaller it came to a point and then um and so and anyway this like things like that working with Pramila where we would just go so deep um, you know, working with Ananya, obviously, like that was one of my first times, like where I cried in a dance. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, like she had me researching all this stuff to go into the dance mm-hmm. to where I couldn't do the dance without crying. Cause I was thinking about all the stuff, you know, it was about, it was a, it was like when the, uh, a while, like years ago, there was an earthquake in Haiti and we, and so we were exploring different things. And I remember she took um, me and Huey, oh my God, Huey, shout out to Huey. One of my other just homies, we had, we had babies being pregnant, trying to do footwork, you know, trying to do what Ananya says when you big and pregnant. <laughs> okay. okay. Like Huey, you there's there's video of Huey. Um, one of the shows, Huey was pregnant with one of her daughters, and she had to have her belly out. She had to get her belly painted. It was like wow, Ananya. But like, I remember it was me, Huey, and Ananya, and we went to Wisconsin some you know performance at um some college, and we were doing a workshop and all this you know madness. But and I just after the performance, I refused to come back out to take the bow. Cause I was so overwhelmed with emotion and I was like, this is not for y'all. This is not a performance. Like I'm going through something. So I just, those are moments that really like, I keep close to my heart because like, even though I don't work with the Nanya anymore, I still remember like all of the details that we put into our work and that stays with me. You know, the yeah. same thing with, Prom- with um, Pramila, you know, Deja Joel is a person who I met when she was 16 in, in at, at SPCPA, when I used to teach at St. Paul Conservatory for oh. performing artists. And I remember that it was like a J term and I had my son wrapped to my back and, you know, my daughter playing the drums. And it was like, I was like, you, Deja Joel, here goes your solo. Here goes this feature. Here goes that feature. And then ever since then, it's like she, been, she, we, she flipped the tables. <laughs> became my, you know it was like she became my teacher almost immediately 
And so now I, I'm like, okay, the understanding of having younger mentors. That's another thing that I learned from my dad, which he learned from somebody else. Like, you got to have younger mentors. It's not an only older mentor in mentee situation. You got to have younger mm-hmm. mentors who are explaining to you how things are changing. And so, you know, I, I have, I'm deeply indebted to Deja Joel and proud to be a member of Black and still continue to work with her. And, you know, as she takes over momentum, you know, I'm trying yeah. to be like, okay, let me do get on the coattails. I might have a second career now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thinking back on your, the experience you had with Ananya, uh, I mean, what more can you ask for, I think? with that kind of emotional, you know, just being so involved in the development and getting to perform in that way. I think for me, performances really stand out to me when it's like you get lost in it and you're just like, whoa, so emotionally moved. So that's amazing to have that experience. It is. And I also did not- wild to me is that like what I didn't understand then um, is the thing that Deja is trying to work on now, which is the idea of observance, that we don't perform, that people are allowed to observe us being ourselves or observe us going through a process or observe us working in a certain aesthetic. And so, and that has just been like a revolutionary idea, but I realized that, oh my God, the seed of it. I mean, if that's what they say, radical means from the root. So the root of it, has always been there. Beautiful. Hmm. I also didn't know that Deja went to SBCPA. Yep. It's amazing. Crazy. It's incredible the amount of students uh, coming out of there. I feel really impacting the the community. It's so great. Yes. And, then, you know, yep. And then for things to come full circle and Deja to be doing a J term at SPCPA, you know, last, that was 2019, I believe she did a J term. From J term to J term. Hmm. Wow. wow. Anna, where, where was, uh, where were you dancing with your family and, and, taking classes and doing the the drumming and dance classes and things like that. You mentioned Patricia and Morris Johnson, who I I am familiar with and several other names. Where were those like classes or just ceremonial happenings there? Okay. So one thing is my mom was my mom. First of all, way before I was born, there was a company called feast of the circle dancers. And they were doing African dance and my mom was involved in it um, with people like Artie Thompson. Um, And then, you know, there's some story about them driving all night to go to North Dakota to dance in a field, stuff like that. (laughs) So then, but then when I was little, my mom was in Nimli Napla Pan African dance and Nimli has since moved to California um, I actually just seen him right before all of everything got shut down. We did go to California for a dance conference. So I got to see Nimli, but Nimli Napla is a Liberian and he had this um, Liberian dance troupe and drum troupe and he, and it was a lot of Liberians in it. So it wasn't that many, you know, Americans or white people in it at all. So my mom was one of the first, you know, black Americans to be in there. And also one of the first women to play the djembe because the djembe is like, <laughs> 
traditionally a man's instrument. So, um, so I remember that from when I was little and then, um, and then my mom used to take me to Morris Johnson when Morris used to teach at Jawa here when it was above Birch Pharmacy, which yeah. is now Birch Steak, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, remember that big old Jawa here studio? Yeah, um, part of the the, the, the third housing. floor or the la- the top floor one with the big um with the wood floor and the little steak. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that. So that. So I remember being little. In in in. I didn't know what was going on. Like all I could see was legs, you know, but I remember going to Morris and then Patricia Brown used to teach at Patrick's Cabaret. Oh. Shout out to Patrick's Cabaret, which yeah. Patrick Kelly was actually my first modern dance teacher. Cause I used to go to Fuller Young People's Theater, which was at that church, which is right around the corner from the Calhoun building. Um, like one block off of Lake street. Anyway, Fuller Young People's Theater used to have this after-school program, and Patrick Scully taught modern dance. And I remember we used to be cracking up, but we didn't know. We had no idea. We was we was in junior high, but but um, he'd be rolling on the floor. We just be laughing like, "What is he doing?" So then, um, so, but yeah, so Patrick's Cabaret. Patricia Brown used to teach on Saturdays, I believe, at Patrick's Cabaret. And I feel like you used to go from Morris to Patricia. It used to be a whole day of dance on Saturdays. And I remember, um, so now this is a jump because now my daughter is in in a car seat, in a car seat. You know, you set up the baby in the car seat and you like, yeah. now I'm doing dance class. Okay, so, <laughs> so I remember that, you know, from Patrick's Cabaret. Um, and then there was a woman, Paulette Cousins. She was a Jamaican woman. And she used to teach, and I swear this place is over north, but I cannot remember. And none of my family can like get get an extra accurate memory of where the studio was at. But I think it was the Emerge Building, what's now Emerge, and it's on Fremont in Broadway, over north. Hmm. And I think there used to be a dance studio on the top floor of that building, and that's where Paulette Cousins used to teach um, Caribbean dance. And again, I was little. I just remember feet, like seeing feet moving across the floor. And then um, and then Mick Labriola was was the drummer. You know, long hair, gray, like just the ultimate hippie. Just Mick Labriola was just flying with the drums. Oh my goodness. Yeah, these are memories. These are straight memories. I don't have anything clear. It's just a memory. Well, you have a wealth of knowledge. That is a lot of memories of and names that, you know, I'm just so fascinated by this with like fly, Fuller Young People's Theater and like, where can we find this information? Uh, right. I'm like, what is this is like, this is also, I mean, this is the job of, this is my job as an oral historian, like as a griot, as a jolly I have to remember these stories and be and also be able to tell it in a story in an engaging way, you know. So, um, and then one of the things like like I currently teach at Two Dance Center, and I've taught at um, the U of M before African Dance. And what I've always tried to drive home to my students is that, you know, from the oral tradition, there's there's pros and cons. And one of the one of the you you could call it a con is that everybody has a different angle of the story. 
So when you hear the story from somebody else, it has different flavors and nuances. So it's not that people are lying or that they don't remember it right, but it's just like an oral tradition just has that flavor to it. You know, we have, you know, yeah. it's kind of like the way that when you write it down in a book, then that gets told as this is how it, this is the story. This is how it happened. But when you keep it oral, you still have that interpretation. But then, you know, some things do get lost. Some things sift through the cracks. It's like the, there's a story about, um, there's a story, there's an old African story about the father who goes into the forest and he gets killed when he's trying to hunt. And what happens is all of the sons forget about him, except for the youngest son who's like, where's my father? And so... Um, it's like, you only, you only actually dead when you're forgotten, when nobody speaks your name. So, you know, that's one of the things that Deja Joel always says too, is say my name, speak my name, no pronouns, mm. say Deja. So I'm like, okay. It's like about speaking, speaking my truth, remembering, and then somehow using my body to record. You know, the systems of mm. my body are what I record on. Wow, Kenna. Uh, where, so tell me, I want to know exactly everywhere you're teaching right now. <laughs> right now, I can, okay, so I teach six to nine-year-olds at Brightwater Montessori. And that is the joy in love of my life right now. I just, I'm just into putting everything that I've learned over all these years of being a dance educator. Cause I used to be a freelance. I used to work for Purpich and, you know, go out to like Morris, Minnesota or wherever and like tell them all about African things. But now I bring it back home to the North side. So I'm teaching there. So sorry, you can't come cause you ain't six to nine years old. And, um, that. <laughs> <laughs> I teach at two dance center um, and I don't teach any open classes. I teach for the, for the students because, mm. you know, I've just, be, I've just gotten very clear about what I'm doing and who I'm doing it for and why I'm doing it. So, you know, the young, the, the young people that come to two dance it again, these are like the joy of my life. They, they, mm. because two dance center, you know, Tony Pierce, man, Oh my goodness. Okay. I got to go back and tell one story though, because look. Yeah. So in 2003, I did a show called Black Choreographers Evening. So this is after, you know, you know, Choreographers Evening at the Walker tradition, right? 40 plus years, right? Um, Anika McMullen, yeah. shout out to Miss Anika. Been knowing her since high school, dancing together since high school. Anika was the first choreographer to um, have me in her piece. And we performed at Choreographer's Evening at the Walker when it used to be only that little um, stage, you know, where the film stage used to be. And it was only just yeah. like a thin. <laughs> a Maybe thin, 12 feet deep. Right, exactly. No wings. You could fall off the steps into the audience. So, okay. So we, so we performed there. And I was like, Okay, this is cool, but it's too many white people at this. Like, I know this could be different. So, so we did. So I was like, okay, I'm doing black choreographers evening. We did that intermediate arts. The first year was 2003. And I remember asking Tony, because I believe that was when 
to dance around the time that they, you know, were starting out with the company. And I was like, yo, I'm getting, I'm not to dance at Black Choreographers Evening, okay? It's about to be lit. <laughs> Tony Pierce came, I, the house I live in now, she came and sat on my step, on my front steps with me and was like, Kenna, <laughs> we're not going to do the show. And she was so clear. She laid out what they were doing with two dance and she laid it out. And now in 2020, I've been teaching at two dance for, I, I think, I feel like it's like 10 years. It's at least seven years that two dance center has had, um, has been in existence. She laid that out for me on my steps in 2003. And she was like, Black choreographers evening, like, I support you, but this is not a part of what we're doing. And and um, mm-hmm. this is what we're doing. And I and the lesson I took from that is, yeah, get your life. Get yourself clear about what you're doing. And don't be afraid or ashamed to explain to people, hey, I support you, but that's not on my path. And, you know, I just, that stuck with me. And that's one of the reasons that I will always be down with two dance. And, and then the way that Tony Pierce approaches dance education and the training as far as making it accessible for people who might not otherwise have the opportunity for this caliber of training. Like two dance is not playing with the caliber of training that these young people are receiving. And so I'm just honored to be a part of it. And then for them to say that West African is one of the pillars it's three pillars mm-hmm. of two dance, West African, ballet, and modern. And for me to know that I'm a part of like that foundation is like, I'm glad you didn't do the show. At the time, I probably was salty, but now <laughs> I see it. <laughs> yeah, I have but that yeah, clear focus. Yeah. In, um, mm-hmm. in 2003, and we did it like three times. Um, and then, you know, we just, I always have tried to, think about, okay, what am I doing? What do I need? Or what do we need right now? And then if we don't need it to let it go. So as, as, Mm -hmm. as people, as people started, as, as things started to change, I didn't feel like there was a need, a need for me to curate a black choreographer's evening to continue curating it. I didn't want it to be a Mm -hmm. tradition just for tradition's sake. Hmm. And but it still remains, correct? Is that true? No, nope, but With we Amica only still... it was 2003, 2004, and 2005. And we did two uh, at the Arts, and then we did one at the Varsity. Oh my gosh. Yep. <laughs> and the Varsity huh. was funny because I used to go to party when I was in high school. The Varsity was a venue for parties. Yeah, yeah. I remember it as that too. Shout out to Disco T. Shout out to DJ Disco T. He used to have parties at the varsity. And that my parents used to pick me up at right at midnight because midnight was curfew. So um, I have a question, Kenna, about just like your, um, you know, obviously have been in this community for a long time and are very invested in this community. What are the things that you want to champion right now? Um, and what are the things that you're excited about for the future? Well, I'm really excited about Deja Joel taking over momentum. 
I'm really excited about the opportunities that we're going to have, um, or, you know, personally, like I'm leaning towards production. I want to learn more about the elements of production and be supportive for young artists of color and young queer artists or not even young, but just artists of color and queer artists who are making work that they want to perform. So just cause I'm not into performing, but I still want to support you, but I know where my pocket can be is in the production side. So I'm excited about the opportunities um, that Deja Joel leading momentum is going to give our community in terms of opening up the knowledge in the, in the production element. That's something I'm really excited about for the future. Um, and right now, I'm focusing on creating Black space for African cultural practices for community health and wellness. And I'm definitely focusing on North Minneapolis. That's where I wasn't born here, but I've been here for 20 some odd years. I graduated from North High. Like, this is just my side of town. And so, um, and there's so many young Black people, so many young people who need something constructive to do with their creative energy. And I want to see it, um, I want to see people take control. Like, in this age of gentrification, we, I feel very out of control of what's happening to my community. So this, this is the way of, of me trying to take control and put control back into our hands. And so um, creating physical spaces. So like working with um, right now, the Northside Healing Space and Liberty mm -hmm. Community Church is who provides us our space. And, um, you know, creating a physical space where people can come and then also just creating a mental space for, again, using these cultural arts, not for performance, not for commodification, not to sell to the highest bidder, not to look cute on, on TikTok, but to have yourself and your heart and your body be healthy and well. I was just... Um, I was teaching at two dance last night um, on Zoom, but like uh, just trying to talk to them about this young uh, artist named Akoswa Akoto, who is blending the science of fighting cancer and fighting, you know, different degenerative diseases through exercise and dance with an African focus. And um, mm. this young person has like actually done studies where using African dance and music has like gotten people off their diabetes medication, gotten people more bone density, more flexibility, you know? So it's like, that's what I'm on. I'm on how do we use these practices for our health and wellness? And I am very, very focused on the black community. Like I'm, I'm very, very clear that, um, you know, I, Look, I don't know how else to say it. Like I've done, I've done it. I've gone all around. I've traveled all around. I've been to the small towns. I've taught at the U. I've been to every white school. And now it's time to make sure that my people are good. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of barriers in the black community to um to that access point. 
You know, we're, you know, we're still not clear on our relationship to Africa. We're still not clear on our relationship to each other. We're still not clear on our relationship to capitalism. And so there's this lot of work that's internal. And uh, that's, that's, that's what I'm on. That's what I'm championing right now is black spaces for arts and culture, for our health and wellness of our community. And to have the gentrification of the North side, because we can't stop it. It's going to happen, but to have our hand in it, to have our hand all up in it so that any changes we benefit the people that have, um, you know, the people of all races in my community who've been living here for all this time, that we continue to benefit as, as things start to change, that they change in a way that works for us. Hmm. So with, with that said, Kenna, are, are all people welcome in that space? So Voice of Culture is a Black space. It's for people of African descent. Um, I have a lot of people who have people who are not of African descent, but who have adopted children of African descent, who find um, a place to bring their children so that they can engage in their cultural practices. So I have, you know, I mm-hmm. have very compartmentalized spaces so voice of culture is a black space it is for people of african descent when we have our weekly practices it's a black space it's for people of african descent when i'm doing work um with deja joel it's a little bit broader when i'm doing work with liberty community church in the north side healing space it's a little broader obviously when i'm doing my teaching at um to dance and at bright water it's very broad you know i have students of all races, but I'm still trying to put them into an Afrocentric environment. So for instance, I have, I have a young student who, um, you know, she's a white girl, but she'd been with me. She'd been with me. So she has literally grown up in an Afrocentric environment. And I keep looking at her and saying, okay, you don't, you're going to change the world. You, you're one of these who's going to change the world because you have grown up with a different perspective. You have grown up with whiteness not at the center, you know? So it's like, you know, it is, but it isn't. There's a, there's areas that obviously I want everybody to learn and change their perspective. And then there are spaces where in order for us to protect what we need to protect, I got to have a black space. You know, there, there, there's been a, you know, African uh, movement and beats and rhythms and dances and Afro beats, like all of that is very hot right now. It's very popular. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you know, you can see people of every races throughout the world jumping into African rhythms and traditional and contemporary African movement. Um, and one of the, one of the things that happens though, is that then I have my regular, black person, my regular sister or brother who's on the corner is now saying, oh, that's not for me. Oh, that doesn't have nothing to do with me. And I can't have Mm -hmm. that. I got to change that perspective. You know, that's what happens with the commodification and appropriation, or should I say misappropriation? Because I do believe all art is actually appropriation. You take something outside yourself and you make it into your own thing. But when I say misappropriation, I mean, okay, you're just grabbing the, you're grabbing what's cute. You're grabbing what, what's popular and you're not going deeper. And maybe it's not for you to go deeper. I mean, one of the things that I had to do and really look at and why I kind of stopped working with the Nanya is not out of any type of disrespect for her culture, but just realizing like, 
I'm going real deep into somebody else's culture. I'm getting real mm. deep into somebody else's culture. And am I this deep in my own culture? Do you know, do I have this type of foundation for myself? Um, and, you know, another thing that I always say is like, in order to abstract something, I have to know it. I have to know it intimately. And so that was one of the, you know, reasons why I kind of like got out of like really presentational, like creating dance pieces that are really presentational because, you know, I found myself scratching the surface of things, trying to create something that was aesthetically pleasing or that people would clap to as Mm. opposed to deeply understanding what I was doing in order to abstract it. Yeah, speaking from truth in a real honest place. Yeah. So that's a long answer to say, like, yeah, I, you know, th- like, no, there, it's not open for all cultures. Voice of culture is a black space and there's other spaces. Like I, I, all, I tell people all the time because I just, I just went to um, teach at, I did a dance workshop, like at an Upward Bound um, Saturday thing, you know, Upward Bound is a program for first generation college students to like start to understand how to be successful in post-secondary education. So I went there and it's like half West African kids from actual West African countries. So I'm like, what am I going to tell you? How am I going to tell you? And then, and then the other half was Asian kids and and, um, Latinx kids. So it's like, okay, we have this all African dance experience. And then, um, we talk about the ways that you can manifest it. And I have so many, um, what I like to say is rainbow coalition. There's so many rainbow coalition colleagues. So if you person of non-African descent want to do African dance, just cause you can't do it with voice of culture. You can, there's, there's at least three other companies in town. You could go to Dunia, you could go to Tiyumba, you could go to Tisambe. I'll give you their number. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not I'm not in the business of telling people what they can and can't do. I'm I'm in the business of doing what I'm doing and then try to like help you find your path. If we cross paths. Yeah, yeah. You know, I it, for me as a choreographer of 25 years now, uh very white company and and not uh, necessarily by choice. Keep wanting to try to have more diversity amongst uh, this my style of modern dance, contemporary movement, and so it's it's always been interesting to me to try and uh, work with different cultures and different people and have that kind of because my work is not about being. I mean, naturally, because of my upbringing and things like that. But it is something that I'm very much like wanting to dismantle and disrupt and like shift because it's it's just not right to me. And and yet I don't know even know where to begin. I hear you. And I, I guess it's just a statement. You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely hear you. You know, it's like I I don't envy. I don't envy that um, that push pull, that struggle, that try that. You know, I don't envy that because, as you know, as a person 
from, you know, as a white male, you are, you know, automatically placed in that seat, if you will. Yeah. You know? So it's yeah. like to decide I'm going to get up, I'm going to break this chair, <laughs> you know, I'm going to do some, I'm going to change some things. Yeah. You know, I don't envy that position, but I also can, you know, parallel it to, you know, me taking my time to decide what it is and, and to get clear and to think about all of my, my ancestors and my, those who walked before me, you know, who are not dead, but they're, they came before me. They've, they've made trails before me, but at the same time, another great saying that my dad has is your path is behind you. Think mm -hmm. about that for mm -hmm. your path is behind you. Because it's not a path. You're not following anybody else. Yeah, yeah. You know, your path is behind you. And so to, 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 to really step, you know, off the path, if you will, because if you can think about it like that, like white people have been placed on a path and they're like, okay, we just keep going. But if you're going <laughs> to step off the path, it's a big risk. And, it, you know, it's, it's a lot to figure out. Hmm. Wow, Kenna, you are amazing. <laughs> I, I, I just, um, I'm, I'm so appreciative of your time today. And, you know, I feel like I've seen you in the community acquaintance wise, but like getting this in-depth understanding of where you're from and what uh, mentors you've been with and teachers. And it's just fascinating to me. So much knowledge. Again, I'll just repeat myself. Like, these names of things. And I'm just like, what is that? You know, so it's such, it speaks to such the rich uh, community that is here and that is making things happen. Uh, and you are so much a part of, part of that. So thank you so much. You are welcome. And thank you for asking me. I really had to ponder it. And now that we are done or that we're like, in it, I'm like, this feels really good. So thank you for asking. And it's been really nice to actually go down memory lanes. You <laughs> had me unearth some memories that I hadn't even like thought about for a while. So I appreciate that. Oh, very cool. Well, again, thank you. And uh, we will, uh, we'll be in touch again another time, hopefully. Yeah, I'd love to. All right. Have a good one. All right. Peace and love. Peace and love. Thanks for joining us today. Next week, we'll be speaking with choreographer Morgan Thorson. Morgan Thorson has been touring around the Minneapolis Twin Cities, Minnesota area since 2002. Her work has been described by the Minneapolis Star Tribune as an explosive physicality tempered by sinuous line and subtle drama. We're really excited to have Morgan Thorson here. Uh, make sure to find Studio Stories wherever you find your podcasts. You can also find it on the Arena Dances website. Until next week, more Studio Stories to come. <laughs>